In the words of uh, a mentor of mine, Charlie Brown, good grief. <laughs> How many are still in the, the, the presence of worship right now? Anybody? Because that was amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, last year, uh, we had, uh, at our gathering, we had Greg Boyd. Who knows of Greg Boyd? Okay. Hearing the man talk makes my brain hurt, makes me feel dumb. Um, his intelligence is out of my pay grade. But one of the things that uh, impacted me in a deep way is his understanding of 1 John 4, that God is love. It's not just an emotion, it's who he is, the noun. God is love, love is God. And what we do is he said we have these umbrellas that kind of keep the love of God that wants to pour on us all the time, and it kind of bounces off. And I don't care how long you've walked with Jesus all of us have experienced something like that. Have we not? And we beg and we hope that there'd be a tear in the umbrella or it would be completely removed. And so I, I'm just moved by Jesus right now. And he's always going to be the focus. And uh, the worship was just, it was not about us so much receiving, even though we did. What I heard and what I saw was people giving praise to the one who's worthy, that Jesus is absolutely enough. So what I want to do right now, if you're that person that has kept this umbrella up, you may know Jesus, but you're ready now to fully walk with and receive Jesus. I want to bless you. I want to pray for this time. And we want to start it uh, really well by seeing him and only him. So if you join me in prayer and then posture yourselves in any way that you do to receive something, um, get comfortable. If you need to walk around, I don't care. Do what you got to do. So, Lord, we thank you for you. And I know so many times in my own life, I've rejected the greatest gift of your presence. I know there are times that things get in the way, circumstances, and we realize freedom in Christ Jesus becomes really hard in that moment. And we put this umbrella, if you will, up and... All you want to do is shower your glory and your love and grace upon us. So if we've been living in that way, I want to say in the mighty name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, blockage be gone. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that God would break through in your heart in such a way that we no longer put him at arm's length, but we are open to receive whatever he has for us so that we can step more fully into the presence of the living God. And we thank you that uh, Lord, it's clear that you've made it simple for us and we complicate it. <laughs> but you simply want to shower your love on us. That's what it was like in the garden. All you want is our first call is to receive your love. So in Jesus' name, may we do that tonight and watch the breakthrough happen through the power of your Holy Spirit. We watch things happen that we never thought possible. We claim that in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. Well, um, it's truly an honor to be here. Even though this is where I serve, <laughs> it's, it's always an honor. I have, I got to say this, uh, I have an amazing team. Amazing team. An amazing church family and an amazing network to be a part of. So uh, I'm very grateful. And um, they made me cry before I got up here. So I got it out of my system. So we're good to go. 
We have this theme, living God's love out loud, and that means a lot of different things to us because we put our own spin on it, things that we've learned, embedded theologies we've learned in church growing up, and we have our spin on what it means to live who Christ Jesus is within us to the people around us. And we've, we all have a different uh, way of approaching that. But when we talk about it, what are, what are we saying when we say living God's love out loud? Well, if we look at 1 John, it's God is synonymous with love. It is something so deep, it is uncreated, it is beyond what we can possibly comprehend because it's God. And if we had, if we had love figured out, if we had God figured out, then he's not the God he says he is. So we can always go deeper. We can always learn more. And what I pray that we don't do is treat people as if we've got it figured out, that we're a final product. Because God is always moving in our lives if we allow him to. It was said, uh, I loved how it was put, uh, this woman, this dear woman I know said to me, Jesus never messes with, his w- with your will, but he'll, he'll mess with your heart. He'll poke and prod until you see what he wants to do in and through you. And really what he wants is to be, and there's a phrase that I heard that is just, it never leaves me, is he wants to be our magnificent obsession. Now when we hear the word obsessed, that doesn't really have a great positive connotation, does it? (laughs) Right? You're obsessed. We say it that way. Uh, I remember in high school, I wanted a girl to be obsessed with me. I was little, I was gawky, and I had big ears. And I would, have, I would have loved to have, in high school, a girl be obsessed with me. Well, one year I went to a, a Christian camp. This is, this is a true story. I went to a Christian camp, and I put on my Christian one-liners. Hopefully something would stick if I just threw them at as many people as I could. And I did. I threw them all out there. And I remember there was this one gal who was so broken that kindness was welcome for her. Uh, but little did I know that that kindness that she received from me became this obsession to the point like I was getting out of high school. I went across the country. She found out where I went to school. She found out what dorm I was in. She found out what my roommate's names were. She found out everything. And I remember my younger brother giving me a call. He goes, dude, you remember that girl from camp that you were all bragging about? I'm like, yeah, dude, she's obsessed. She's absolutely obsessed. Now, part of me is going, yeah. The other part of me is going, ah. But you have to admire the intentionality. Right? You have to admire that kind of perseverance to find out as much as you can about one thing and go after it, what would the kingdom of God look like if we are that obsessed about Jesus? What would the kingdom of God look like if this was our, our vision on Jesus and all we want is Jesus, all we want is his love and grace to fully move through us in such a way that no matter who we talk to, people want to be in our presence because Jesus is there. That's the obsession I am talking about. And the reason why we can have that kind of obsession towards Jesus is because he's obsessed with you and me. He's absolutely bonkers obsessed with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we sing, he loves us 
Oh, how he loves us. It's a wonderful song because the melodies, they trigger all your nerves. You get the chills. You hear everyone singing. You're like, rah, rah, rah. This is a powerful song, and it is. But do you know that you are that deeply loved? Do you know that? I don't mean what you've heard or what you've been taught, but have you experienced the love of God unhindered in your life? Have you learned to see that he is completely obsessed with you? When we talk about living God's love out loud, what we're talking about is living our obsession and inviting people in to that obsession of Jesus. Because I will say this now, before we we can do mission, before we can do uh, great ministry, before we can do all those things, Jesus is the only, only one that matters before anything can matter the way it should. Let me say that again. Jesus is the only one that matters before anything else can matter the way it should. When we talk about living God's love out loud, that's the posture. Allowing ourselves to be in a place where it's all about Jesus. See, we make it complicated. But Jesus makes it simple. He says, come to me. Come to me. Just be here with me. We'll hear that phrase a lot, I'm sure. Be with me. Be with me. Don't go just do things for me. Don't just do blind obedience. Be with me. Because when you're with me, what I pour in and through you is going to come out in a way that transforms the world around you. It transforms the atmosphere. We can't do that if we invite Jesus into our ministry. Jesus is the one that leads us. I can't tell you how many times in my own life that I, I said, uh, Jesus, I'm going to go do this for you. You want to join me? Who's ever done that? Get your arms stretched out because I'm going to ask you some questions tonight. Right? We're like, man, I'm going to take this land for the kingdom of God. I don't know if he's called me there, but I'll invite him there once I figure out my plan. And how do those work out? Humility comes real quick, right? Like this. It comes right at your face. Because Jesus wants to be the one that matters most in everything that you do. We see in Matthew 22, Jesus asks, what is the greatest commandment? Now, I can read it. Most of us know this, correct? I'm assuming, making the assumption that many of us know this. But I heard it put in a great way. The greatest commandment is love God with all you got and love one another with all you got. And when we look in Scripture, the word love for each one is the same. It's not, you know, love God with all you got and then love people a little less. That's not it. Why? Because if Jesus is your obsession, then you're going to be obsessed with what he's obsessed about. And that's you. That's me. That doesn't change. When we love God and we pour all we are, when we surrender and we say, I am yours because I am, a, I am magnificently obsessed with your love and grace and the character of who you are, that must translate to how we love people. Because he's obsessed with every single person because of how much he loves them. We've all had seasons where we probably felt alone and isolated, that God was at arm's length, that uh, 
he's not there. Who's, who's felt, even if you've walked with Jesus most of your life, you felt the absence of God's presence, right? You will know the absence of God's presence when there is no longer hope. Because scripture tells us that he holds the whole world in his hands, and even though there's bad things that happen, there's always hope because who's in his hands? We are. The absence of hope is the absence of God in our lives, which to me is a great definition of hell. Separation from Jesus. But as long as we're still breathing, there's always hope. And even in those moments, in those tough times, he's there. He's there. We know that. But how do we step into it? Some of us feel guilty because we, we may blame God. Who's ever blamed God for something? Right? Who's ever yelled at him? While you're driving in the car, has anyone ever done that? You're driving in the car and just yelling at them? And then it really gets you going, so someone cuts you off and you're yelling at that person. (laughs) It's not just road rage, it's Jesus rage, it's everything rage, you're just a mess. But guess what? The God of the universe is so obsessed with you, he can take it. He gives you safety, he gives you space to engage him in any way because at least we're engaging him. When I think about being a dad and I think about my beautiful daughter going nuts, just going bonkers all over the place, I may not agree with her behavior, but my love is always directed towards her. And when she's yelling at me or when she's mad at me, I'm still, even though I'm annoyed, I am joyful because she's there in my presence and I get to look at my beautiful daughter. How do you think Jesus sees you? There are tough times, but he brings the right people at the right time to live his love out loud, to remind us of the hope that we have. So we are the light of the world, so we are reminders. Jesus is the light of the world, and he uses us to be his hands and feet, to be his light unto the world so that we can remind people there's hope. And not because we preach at them, not because we become the morality police, but because we become safe because Jesus is safe. Remember, when we start treating people like we're a finished product, we've lost sight of what living God's love out loud is like. Back in 2005, I was actually at Fuller Seminary (laughs) Um, (laughs) before I transferred to the great MI. And um, I was working in this retirement facility in La Jolla, California. I'm from Southern California. And uh, I was uh, a waiter there at this five-star retirement facility where you had people that, I remember one guy had worked on the atom bomb with Einstein. You had another guy that was, you knew, he said he did some boring thing, but you knew he was from the mob, right? <laughs> you just knew. He'd go, yo, Brendan, I don't like my food touching. You know, you had these kind of people. Had a guy that played baseball with Babe Ruth. It's these kind of people. And I remember, um, who's ever been to San Diego, California? Now, if you're in the La Jolla area, you'll see signs that say scripts on them everywhere. Who's seen those? Okay. Well, um, I'd never even learned her first name, but Mrs. Scripps, the one that everything's named after, I found out was a Christian. And I was going through a time where um, I was in transition of relationships one that crushed me to the core to the point I doubted everything that God had ever said to me. Do I hear the Lord? I'm such a disappointment. And then I made decisions out of that that caused great shame in my life. So I'm walking in this dining room and Mrs. Scripps says to me, I want you to meet my pastor. 
And I'm going, I don't want to meet your pastor. I live with pastors. I don't want to talk to a pastor. I'm a third generation pastor in my family, so they're all over the place. They come out of the woodwork. I don't care if he's a pastor. I don't want to meet him. I'm not in a place to receive. I got so many umbrellas up, you can't even see that I'm there. You ever been there? I don't want to be preached at. I don't even want to be loved on because my, my definition of love was very small. It was not the obsessive love that Jesus, I know, has for me. It was what was modeled to me in other relationships. So it was, this, it was small. So I remember her finally bringing in her pastor. And my boss at the time was a Buddhist and very eccentric and very weird. And uh, she is on the dining room floor. And here comes this man that had to have been 84, 85, this little cane. And he's walking like this. And he looked up at me. And I knew I was in trouble because Jesus was all over him. I had no idea who the man was. I've never heard of him. And I said, oh, Lord God, please tell me I am not going to be serving their table. I'm just hoping that. Sure enough, my boss says, that's your area. You're going to be serving Mrs. Scripps. So excited about being reminded of my shame about being reminded of how I'm not measuring up, how I can't identify the Lord's voice in my life. I needed someone to show me what it meant to live God's love out loud in such a way that I felt completely safe to just crumble. And I remember my first attempt to come to this table to get it all together. I have my, you know, Christianese deflection answers for questions. And this little old man looks up at me and he grabs me extremely strong, like, I mean, Hulk smash on me. I mean, he brought me to the ground, and he looks at me. I'll never forget it, these big blue eyes. And he says, do you have a lady in your life? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you not see me in pain? And you're going to ask me that. Well, you're going to need two canes in just a minute, buddy. <laughs> that was my feeling. That's how I was feeling. And he looks at me. And he just says gently, he says, the Lord told me she's coming. And a week later, later, I met my wife. But I remember getting up from that, I'm just going, oh, I was so heated. Like, Lord, why would you tease me? Why would you poke and prod at my wounds? And then I tried to avoid him altogether. And he caught me as he was leaving. He caught me. Now remember, I'm in shame. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. He comes up, and I see him. I'm trying not to make eye contact. You know, you're looking down. like, And we didn't really have like iPhones back then. And I'm just kind of like, gosh, I wish I had something to look at. To... <laughs> but it's open space. I don't even have trays. I have nothing. Just me. And my boss is over there watching what's happening. And I'm, I'm standing there, and I can't avoid I mean, I could outrun him, but now it's really obvious. <laughs> And I'm a people pleaser. So I'm, my people pleasing nature is like, oh, just stay there, get it over with, you know, respect the elderly, all this stuff. He comes up, he grabs him by the wrist again, and it hurt, and grabs the other one, and he says, look at me, son. And so Mary's like this tall. He's looking up at me, because he had a broken back, actually, I found out. He looks up at me, and he says, I deeply see the sweetness of Jesus in you. And he comes in and kisses me on the forehead and he walks out. 
And in that moment, I collapsed on the floor crying. And I'm like, I'm getting fired. (laughs) And I turn to my boss, who's a Buddhist, quirky, is sobbing. Because a little old man gave me what he had. He didn't have his health. He didn't have much, but he had Jesus. And he simply kissed me and said, I see his sweetness in you. And I couldn't see it in myself. But it was right there. And then I found out who he was. A man by the name of Harold Bredesen, who was an American Lutheran pastor, pretty much led the way for the charismatic movement. If you've heard of Pat Robertson, CBN, Pat Robertson revered this man. And here's this man, by all intents and purposes, in the Christian community, he had every reason, if he was healthy enough, to strut. But he didn't. He pulled a little wa- a waiter down and said, I see the sweetness of Jesus in you. He didn't preach at me. He didn't try to, to convince me of something. He didn't try to talk me out of something. He pointed directly towards what was already there, the love of God, and how valued I was. And it changed my life forever. It's not just the lost that need to be reminded of the love of God. It's those of us who think we're found. I would have told you I followed Jesus with all my heart, but I would be lying to you if I had said that. I saw a man who was so small and frail that literally met me where I was at and just reflected Jesus. Here's the trick to me when I look at scriptures that being established in the love of God, receiving the love of God, living God's love out loud means that we have the beautiful, wonderful, extremely challenging honor to sit in the tension, to sit in the tension of all the things the world will throw at us. We have a lot of stuff going on in our culture today where you see the church divided. We're either for this or against that, and there's all this stuff. When you look at Jesus, he sits in the tension of those, those things so beautifully because he's the ultimate example of how to live who he is out loud. And many of us know the story in John 8 with the woman who's caught in adultery, and we see a beautiful example of what it means in the culture around us today when there's opinions about everything, where we think we have to defend God for some reason, some way, when the call is to love him and love others in an obsessive way, in a deep way of simply identifying the sweetness of Jesus in someone. And we see this woman who's used as a test to test Jesus. And this is haunting because this woman is being charged for for specific crimes of adultery in a Jewish culture, which would say that she's Jewish, and she knows what's coming. Now imagine, you're embarrassed, you're afraid, because you know what the penalty is. And now she's being used as an example to trap Jesus. And we know most of the story, but the, the, the part that gets me is that when he says, those of you that have sinned, cast the first stone, and everyone leaves, he says, who's here to condemn you? 
And she says, nobody. Well, neither do I condemn you. So what we see is an encounter. Correction doesn't come till after the encounter. Then he releases her and says, and go sin no more. And it's not because don't go and sin. It's because that's not what's best for you. What's best for you is what you just experienced is being in my presence in a wonderful and beautiful way in which I'm not going to condemn, but I'm not going to condone either. And he sits in that tension. When we love, when we live God's love out loud, we're being charged to discern how to sit in the tension. Because often what we see is what the person has done or what they have not done and go from there. When instead, Jesus points us straight to the heart. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is who convicts. The power of the Holy Spirit leads us to transformation with ever-increasing glory, which is why we can never treat people as if we're finished products because we know that he's transforming us all the time with an ever-increasing glory. And I, wanna, I, I don't want to take an hour and a half here. <laughs> yeah. Mike told me not to tease, so I'm not going to tease him. I'm going to respect my elders. I'm just speaking truth. <laughs> that is. But I, I want to say this. Sitting in the tension feels really tough, and it's easy to compromise. It's easy to eject and get out of there because it's hard. Because Jesus leads us into freedom, and we've lived a certain way. It's hard to live in freedom because we've never experienced it. And freedom can be scary, can't it? I mean, when you first, if you remember when you first came to Jesus, the reason why we call it born again is because literally everything about Jesus is new to us in some way. And so we have to be nurtured. That's why we have discipleship, people people pouring into us to show us how to live in such a way that glorifies Jesus and not by what we do, but our proximity to him, how close we are with him, how we allow ourselves to be enveloped by his presence. And I, my folks told me this story, uh, and I knew the people involved, and I want you to uh, close your eyes for a second. Whatever you need to do to picture, some of you, you know, maybe need to, Open your eyes. But there was a, a couple at our church in, in San Diego, Steve and Susie. And Susie was this fiery evangelistic Christian who was just going after people in a great way. And she would go to the hairdresser, and she had a hairdresser named Lyle who lived a homosexual lifestyle. And Steve, Susie's husband, who is an on-fire Christian, was homophobic. But he loved God. And he knew that God loved him. But we found out that Lyle had AIDS. And in this time, and I don't know all the details, we know that Lyle came to Christ. And he caught pneumonia that was related to having AIDS. 
And so he's sitting in the hospital bed, and Steve and Susie come into the room, and Lyle knows how Steve feels about him. He knows. And he's so cold. Lyle's so cold. He's, he's freezing. He's so cold. And in that moment, the power of Holy Spirit came over Steve. Now, Lyle had lesions all over his face. He died shortly after that, a few months later. But Steve took the covers, opened the covers, and laid in bed with him and held him. And Lyle knew and experienced the love of God in the way he never had before, ever. Because in that moment, Jesus become, became everything to Steve, and it wasn't about what he was afraid of, but it was about what Jesus was obsessed with, and it was that man, Lyle, whose behavior may not have matched what Jesus would want for him, but Jesus still went after him. And he died knowing Jesus, accepting Jesus, loving Jesus. It wasn't about the behavior. It was about the heart. And that's how we sit in the tension. We see the heart, and we allow Jesus to work out the rest. Does that mean we compromise our integrity? No. But the love of God will allow us to discern what compromising our integrity really means. So I will say this to close. The love of God, who he is, his very character, there's nothing after that. There's no next thing. There's no moving on from his love, only moving in and through the power of his love. This is not, this gathering is not about doing a topical thing that maybe will improve our ministries and maybe give us a little boost so we say glory, hallelujah, and then go on to what we're doing. This is absolutely essential and it is life and life everlasting that Jesus is enough. We've got to see him and only him because he's the only one that matters before anything else matters. That's why he's our great obsession, our magnificent obsession. And when we step into that, then you will see a world transformed in the name of Jesus Christ. Then you will see the church being a place where people want to enter. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the relationships. There are better relationships in gangs in the homosexual community because they at least know how to fellowship and love. It's crazy to think when someone will go and enter a gang and you got to get beat up to get in the gang, you got to get beat up to get out before they'll step into a church. But if we see Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit and allow ourselves to be with him, then people will be drawn to us because they're drawn to him. It's as simple as that. Hard to live, but as simple as that. That is the heart of what God has brought together within the ark. That is, is his heart. And if we love him, that's our heart. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you made it clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It is as simple as that. And Lord, would you remove anything that's not of you in our hearts that would keep us from learning to be still, which really means to just sink and notice you. And you do the rest. May we learn to sink 
and notice you. Because when we notice you, how can you not be our magnificent obsession? How can you not be the only one that matters before anything else can truly matter? So I pray in Jesus' name, as we go on through this week, we wouldn't see this as something to check off in our, in our intellectual, I know more about Jesus box, but this is life and this is life every day. And this is the gospel fleshed out. Simply going after what you go after. Sitting in that tension and being present with you and allowing you to do the rest. So I'm excited. I'm joyful. Because you're doing a work. So have your way with us, Lord. Holy, holy is your name. In Jesus' name, amen. encourage you to stand with us and as we just sing this song that is really a prayer that we say that it's kind of a dangerous prayer to say God I want to give you everything I want to give you my voice I want to give you my lips I want to give you all my silver all my gold everything I have that we would truly do that God more of you God and less of us Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing.